Wednesday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code COLBYSHOW, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W. Discount code COLBYSHOW to save 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. They have a drive-through, so it's easy, safe, and efficient pickup. But again, check out the website, order online, discount code COLBYSHOW for 15% off at abotanicalcompany.com. All right, our weekly Wednesday guest is Aaron Davis. We're talking Final Four. We're talking college basketball. Tomorrow is opening day of Major League Baseball, so we'll hit that a little bit. We'll hit the buildup to the NFL draft as pro days continue to move along and just all the the changing opinions in the draft world continuously. So a lot to talk about, a lot of fun with my weekly Wednesday guest, Aaron Davis. Happy Wednesday, Aaron Davis, our weekly Wednesday guest. Aaron, what's happening? Not much, just... uh... Enjoying this this nice hump day, middle of the week. Looking forward to uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow's a big day for I know it's a big day for you and me, but uh, it's a big day in sports. And then we've got the Final Four. I'm assuming they're going to play on Saturday. Is that the plan? I, I yes. I know that's what they usually do, but you know they play an Elite Eight game on a Tuesday, right. so I wouldn't put it past them to play like on Thursday of next week. Yeah, we've. Uh, I guess we've we've reached the point where they've decided that we can get back on the normal schedule. So uh, the two final four games are on Saturday, and then I guess we're back to to a Monday night national championship game with God willing, Gonzaga and Baylor. That was my bracket selection. Those were by far the best two teams that I saw play college basketball this season. Uh, I think it would be a heck of a game, but uh, yeah, we're we're almost there. How many? I also had Baylor and Gonzaga. I think you probably had Gonzaga winning. I had Baylor winning. I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. But how many brackets, realistically, do you think there were 500 brackets made in the entire country that did not have Gonzaga in the Final Four? I mean, you're just overthinking it if you decided to go that route, right? I mean, you just wanted to be different if you decided to go that route. I did not see a single one. Obviously, I've, you know... I've seen like 0.00001% of the brackets made, but still, usually there's like some, you know, some differences, but everyone had Gonzaga in the final four and most likely the national championship. And then, you know, they run into Baylor in most situations or, or whatever be Illinois. And, you know, some people might feel like they get upset, but yeah, Gonzaga is just, they're just so much better than every other team. It's, It's insane. Yeah. And the fact that like, their best player isn't even, you know, their best player necessarily in that offense. Yeah, it's, yeah, they, wow. they can, the, the cool thing about them, a lot like Baylor, is uh, it can be a different guy on any night that beats you. I mean, right. they are, they're so diverse in uh, how they can play on any given night. One night it might be Timmy, one night it might be Kispert, one night it might be Suggs. Uh, and, and the other thing is they just get contributions and whoever, you know, is having that kind of night, everybody else just kind of falls into a, a supporting cast role around them. That's, that's, I think the thing about Gonzaga that's so fun to watch is, um, it's, there's, there's not like one way to go about it. And everybody is so flexible in the way that they play that you don't have somebody, you know, on, on a given night that's just forcing the issue, uh, if, if they don't have it going. So yeah, they're they're really really fun team to watch. Yeah, I'd be shocked if uh, Timmy wasn't the most outstanding player of the tournament, though. He's just been 
Unreal. Yeah. Every game. Just Yeah, he's awesome. It's like it's like other schools don't even practice po- playing in the post when yeah. when they play Timmy. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh just you know, riding out this this hump day until I get into some we get into back into sports. I know there's NBA, but I'm just, it's too close to opening day for me to care about the NBA today. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. Look, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I have some far greater concerns uh, at this very moment in time than even opening day for that matter. Uh, because yesterday I got my second COVID uh, shot. Um, I got the, I got Pfizer. So um, the first one I got, I got the shot. No issues other than like my arm was sore for about 24 hours. Um, just, you know, like, like when you uh, like just burn out your arms bench pressing, right? Like that kind of sore mm-hmm. feeling the next day. Uh, so that's what I, that was the only issue I had. Uh, it felt fine the whole time. So I got the second shot yesterday and I, I was fine all day yesterday. Never even felt the soreness in the arm. Nothing went to bed. Totally fine. I woke up this morning and you would have thought I had been in a train wreck. My entire body from head to toe. And I'm not exaggerating this. Every single muscle is like the most sore it's ever been. Like it is, I can, I barely like turn my neck and it's sore and stiff and it's like, I can't move. I feel fine. I don't have a headache. I'm not fatigued. There's no other issues. Just, I mean, literally every muscle in my body just feels like I, I burned it out working out that like that sort of like just sore, stiff feeling. No. Okay. First off, we, we need to rule this out. Are you positive that you didn't sleepwalk and just do a full workout in the middle of the night last night? Maybe I did. Maybe that's one of the symptoms. You you work out in your sleep and you're just completely awesome unaware of it. That would be awesome. We that's what we need if to we invent could... some sort of way to work out while you sleep so that you get rest and you fix your body at the same time. Right. I hate working out. Like I love playing sports. If you get like any like comp like game with a score or a ball or anything like yeah. that, I'm in. Yeah. But just like I can't. It's it's hard for me to just go do push ups. Like I just I don't right. have the attention span for it. But yeah, if there's just some machine that we could put my that I could put myself in while I sleep for like an hour and a half, and it just I just get shredded. Yeah. That'd be just, awesome. You you put I, in a coma overnight, and the machine right. just works your body out while you are completely oblivious to it. You know, of course, then I have to actually be – the problem when I'm awake is more than not working out. It's, you know, not eating crap, not eating <laughs> a box of Oreos in right. one sitting. Right. I need a machine that will make sure I don't eat a box of Oreos in one sitting. I don't know if they can invent that. But yeah. Anyways, so uh, they get into your the, – the COVID vaccine. They get it in your arm, right? Yeah, in your arm. Just – yeah, just a just, little. So it's just like a standard, like yeah, shot? just a yeah. standard shot. It's, I mean, you don't even like. I don't even. I didn't even feel it either time. Like, puncture my arm. Like it's, it's very fast. Um, like I literally, there was no line yesterday, so I pulled yeah. up, went up there. They were like, "All right, let's punch you into the computer." They did that. That took like 30 seconds. They were like, go to station 15 or whatever it was. I sat down. Um, They like asked to make sure that I wasn't having any like health issues. Uh, And I was like, no, no, no. I haven't had a heart attack in the last week. No, I haven't had, you know, all these other things. Uh, And then they were like, all right, let's do it. And so they just give you the shot real quick. And then they, they ask you to wait for 15 minutes to make sure you don't have any like bad reactions to it. 
and I was totally fine. So this was at like 1.30 yesterday. Uh, totally fine all day. No issues whatsoever. And like I said, I woke up this morning and I could I could barely roll out of bed. <laughs> did uh, did you do it through the state or through one of the tribes? The state. Okay. I need to, I need to get it. I just I checked like maybe it was a week and a half ago. Maybe it might have been two weeks. Like right at two weeks, and uh, I wasn't eligible for the uh, for the state. And I just. I, I figured I have I'm pro I don't need to get it immediately. I'm not like right. I can wait another couple of weeks. I'm 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 fine. I'm not you know there are people that need it way more than I do. So right. I've just waited, but yeah, I need to get it done. I need to whether I do it. Through, I would like to. I don't mind doing it through the, the tribes. I just kind of have to. I I'd have to drive a little bit further, and I just yeah. need to figure that out. But yeah, it's I'm not looking forward to being so sore that I can't move the next day, but I guess it's worth, it's not, a, it's not that bad. Like grand scheme of things, like a small price to pay. <laughs> yeah. So, you well, know, I mean, here's the thing. We'll pandemic. see. Yeah. We'll see how I feel later in the day. If it's, if it's only some, some body soreness for the morning hours and, and then you move past it, then fine. That's, it's not a big deal. If this were to persist for a lengthy amount of time, I think I would be pretty irritated over the situation. But, um, yeah, yeah again, the first time, literally nothing other than, like, a sore arm. And really, I didn't even feel that unless I lifted it, like, above, like, 90, like a 90-degree 90 angle. Unless I oh. went, like, lifted my arm in the air. That was the only time I really felt the soreness. So, uh, and, and here's the other thing. The first dose I got, it, we probably had to wait in line, like, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. I mean, the, the line was out the door at Mercy. Uh, this time around, there was literally nobody there. I mean, walked in, got the shot. Uh, it pro- From the time I walked through the door to the time I got the shot, it was maybe like three or four minutes total. And uh, then oh, you have you're, to- you're talking about Mercy off yeah. the turnpike? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, when they first started doing administering the vaccine, like, there was cars. Yeah. Wrapped around. There was like, yeah, it's, yeah, it was insane. There's, huh, that's interesting. So yeah, yesterday there was nobody. I, I went at one thirty, nobody there. Uh, so it was really quick in and out. But yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully the soreness goes away. I'm like, oh, <laughs> you're gonna have to test it now. You gotta go get somebody to cough in your face and see what happens. <laughs> you gotta test it. You gotta see if it works. Yeah, pass on that. You, did, you didn't get COVID, but you did get hepatitis. Right. So, <laughs> right. Didn't get COVID. COVID vaccine works. COVID free, baby. Uh, how was uh, how was Austin? You went to Oklahoma Texas baseball series last weekend, right? Uh, I, yeah, I went and shot the game on Friday. I shot game one, and then just kind of drove back after the on Saturday. But uh, it was good. It was good. Um, I got it, man. I I gotta tell you and. You can make an argument that all sports fans are kind of douchebags. Like it, you know, especially at the game when they're drinking. Like there's you could say any Texas fans are just no offense to Texas fans. Like I my whole family, my entire family are Texas fans. Yeah. Man, they uh they are another level of annoying though. <laughs> just Yeah, well look, I, I would say every fan base like has that group at any game whether it's baseball or bat- like every fan base has that group that uh certainly makes it a point to stand out above the rest especially when yeah especially in college when you get 20 year olds that you know are probably a little too drunk or you know drunk at all at a yeah. baseball game they're gonna get a little rambunctious but i don't know maybe i just haven't been to a sporting event in so long 
that I was just a little bit more sensitive to the things around me. Not like they were hurting my feelings, hurting feelings or anything, but just like noticing them. Yeah. Because, you know, like I, and, and there was, it also, there was only like a couple hundred people there because of social distancing. So I, you really notice it when there's 200 people, it's like almost silent in there at times. Yeah. And some guys just like cussing at a batter for OU <laughs> or, you know, vice versa or whatever it is. <laughs> notice it a little bit more. Like yeah. I don't, when I'm in a football game and there's 80,000 people, I don't notice anything anybody says. Right. Yeah, well, and look, I, I, the same can be said for those people. They probably uh, forgot, like, public etiquette. It's been so long. Yeah, you're right. I, <laughs> I shouldn't be so rude. I, should, I shouldn't be so mean. You're right. It was good, though. I, I had fun. Uh, I was down there shooting for the Norman transcript. Um, yeah, so it was, it was a good time. I was uh, excited to get out there and shoot another, shoot some more sports, trying to do some more. Uh, more of that trying to find something to do during football season, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was a good time. Um, of course the game went like 11 innings and, (laughs) uh, like, so we can't obviously because of social distancing and COVID and all that stuff, like they're not, they don't allow anybody on the field, like any media or photographers on the field or in the camera wells. So I had to shoot the entire game from the concourse in the stands Oh, and wow. I didn't want to, I didn't want to sit like 20 rows up and get pictures like that. It's just not, that's not good. I'm not going right. to get good results. So I like, I, w- I squatted or sat on my knees right behind the, the, the concrete wall at the backstop. And I, I couldn't stand cause I didn't want to block people's views. So I tried to squat down or get on my knees the whole time and shoot dude, four hours of that. Like my legs were killing me the next day. <laughs> like I'm like feeling my knees right now. And I'm like, Dude, are my knees like indented now? Yeah. Like, it was fun though. I, I had a good time. Um, the uh, Texas starting pitch, I, I don't, I'm not going to remember his name, but starting pitcher for Texas was pretty good. Um, Texas is like number 10 or something like that in the nation. So, like, they're obviously a pretty good team. I think they ended up sweeping OU uh, over the weekend. Maybe OU won the third game, but again, yeah. I, you know, I'll keep up for work, but. Yeah, man, it was just cool. It was cool to be back at a, at a game. It was cool to be back in a press box. It just, uh, I don't know, those were little things I took for granted when, uh, you know, before it was just like sitting sure. in a press box. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm completely with you. Uh, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see, like, the whole football scenario because, uh, you know, baseball obviously is, uh, it's just a completely different animal than, you know, putting 80,000 people in you know, one venue. So I'll be curious to see how all of that works yeah. and, and how uh, people just kind of react to being back in that situation. But uh, I'm, you know, green light. Uh, the UFC actually is having uh, full arenas uh, for their next pay- two pay-per-view cards in Florida and uh, Houston. Well, yeah. So, yeah, they, they were kind uh, of the pioneers of, of, you know, sports carrying on throughout the pandemic. And now they're going to be the pioneers of, of filling places uh, to capacity, so um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, yeah, they had their last empty arena event Saturday, right? Was it Stipe lost? Yeah, Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title, and uh, good lord, Francis Ngannou is the scariest dude on planet Earth. Uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I didn't watch the fight. I, uh, I'll be honest, I passed out at like eight o'clock after driving <laughs> back from Austin, but. Uh, 
Yeah, so uh, are, where are you at in the camp of a third fight between McGregor and Poirier? Because I saw, I guess, a few days ago that Poirier wasn't interested, but then a couple days later I saw that it was, like, close to happening. I did, like, where, what, how are you on that? Like, where are you at on that? So I'm, I'm a little bit torn uh, because uh, Habib Nurmagomedov is the one, was the 155 champion. He has retired and vacated that title. Dustin Poirier is by far the most deserving guy to fight for that title. Or, like, if you wanted to say that, because Habib retired last, what was it, like October. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that Poirier McGregor in January should have been for the title. So if you wanted to say Dustin is now the champion, like, I, I have no issue with that. I, I think when you look at his resume, he's the most deserving of anybody in that weight class. So now he's kind of at this weird crossroads where Connor is not deserving of a title shot, but fighting Connor McGregor pays you more money because he's a superstar in the sport, right? Like no matter how good he is, he supersedes just the the UFC fans. Like people that halfway just, you know, pay attention to the sport all know Connor McGregor and the giant star he is. His pay-per-view numbers are off the charts. So Dustin's caught in this situation where he could either fight for the 155 belt or he could take a trilogy fight with Connor, which is going to pay him significantly more money. I mean, these guys do this for a living. You know, I think sometimes in sports, we all kind of fantasize that everybody is all about, you know, the greatness and winning the championships and the belts and all that. But, you know, these guys got to get paid first and foremost. And an opportunity to fight Connor McGregor and what that payday is, I think, supersedes any title fight that you're going to get against, you know, whether it's Michael Chandler or um, Justin Gaethje or um, Charles Oliveira. So while I, I wanted to see Dustin Poirier fight for the belt, uh, this for him is the smarter move financially. Yeah, I, you've got to take the fight, right? Yeah, I mean, Because you can always challenge for the title in like October of this year, like, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you could all, or assuming that, you know, if they did a McGregor, Poirier three, they'd probably be over the summer sometime, I would assume. But I think July is the target date. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, would make sense. So I think you and if they're gonna have full arenas by then, assuming that everything goes smoothly and we don't have any setbacks with, you know, COVID and everything. Right. I I think you like, yeah, I think you kinda have to do it, right? Because they haven't fought the, their first fight was seven years ago. It was so long ago, both guys were I mean, completely different fighters, and it was in a different weight class. Like, they weren't even 155 at that point. They were 145ers. Right. And 2014, I mean, that was, like, right at, I guess, it wasn't It wasn't quite the peak of Conor McGregor, I don't think, because Conor was probably at his peak, what, like, 2015, 2016-ish? Not, yeah, not long after that. That was, that yeah, was kind so of, like, the ascension of Conor McGregor. Right. Yeah, he was kind of, like, on that, that rise. And I think Connor knows that in their last fight, he definitely, like, he just, you could tell by watching, he just didn't train for it properly and all that stuff. And he might have even admitted to, you know, not having the best camp going into that fight. But yeah, I mean, you just take it, take the third one, especially because I feel like there's still people out there that will make excuses for McGregor in that last fight. Yeah. And if you do it, if you beat him another time, then. Yeah. Then you could go get the title. Like there's there's nothing left for you to do after you beat McGregor a second time than to go get the title. And yeah. I mean, the title's not going anywhere. McGregor will go somewhere. Like 
your table, your shelf life of having another Conor McGregor fight, making that big purse is right. smaller than going and fighting for a title. Plus, what happens if Conor goes and fights somebody else and he loses to somebody else and that star begins to dim even more? I think, you know, he's still a right. massive draw right now. And you never have any idea how these things are going to go. So while, you know, he is still the massive draw that he is, I think you have to take advantage of it. And and look, I think for Con- I think a lot of people want to say Conor is done and the fact that Dustin finished him uh, so early in that last fight. I, I think that's nonsense. Connor still looked good at moments in that first round, but I think what people forget is he hadn't been in the octagon very much over the last few years at all. And it's, you know, it's it's an evolution, like like everything. If you don't play in the NBA for a period of time and then you come back, the game is going to be played in a much different way, right? Like if you hadn't played in three years and then you played in today's NBA, like, it's a different game. It's faster. There's less defense. There's more threes being shot than ever before. It's just, it's a different game. Same thing with UFC. Like, the evolution of the sport, people are using different weapons. And, you know, if you haven't fought and you haven't trained for all the different stuff that's happening in the sport right now, then, you know, you're, I mean, we saw it with with the leg kicks against Connor. Like, that. we've been seeing it trend in that direction for a while now. But Connor hasn't fought since you know the the calf kicks became like a big weapon for uh, for high end fighters. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the last the Poirier McGregor two two uh, was it two fifty seven uh, second highest buy rate of any UFC pay per view right. ever. Actually, right. uh, I'm looking at it. It might be any pay per view ever. If just any pay like yeah. boxing, MMA, wrestling, whatever it might be like. Mayweather Pacquiao one, Mayweather McGregor two, uh, Habib McGregor three, yeah, Mayweather Canelo four, and then you have Poirier McGregor two. It's like the fifth. Yeah. So I guess it's like the fifth total, but the second highest UFC uh, pay per view buy rate. Massive. Yeah, there's money. Massive. Yeah. Yeah. The dude's a superstar. Yeah. And now there's uh, with Francis Ngannou winning the heavyweight title. Uh, if if the UFC and John Jones can can come to some sort of agreement, which it doesn't look like, uh, it, it doesn't look good from that front. Um, I, I think if they are able to make that fight, that potentially could be the biggest fight in UFC history. Is it uh, who who's be, who do you think is being? More, I, I would just, I mean, obviously they they would like to both like to come to a deal on their own terms, obviously. But yeah. do you think it's the UFC being stubborn, or do you think it's John Jones being stubborn? I think it's probably, it probably a combination. Um, look, John Jones is undefeated. He's never lost a fight, and he's stepping up in weight class from light heavyweight to heavyweight. And I think he just views himself as somebody that deserves a massive payday. I, I don't know what the numbers are. Um, I think rightfully so he deserves a massive payday. I don't know what he's asking. I don't know what the UFC's offering, so it's hard to say like if they're actually lowballing him or if it's a good offer that he just feels like is a lowball. I don't know, but that fight would be off the charts. I mean, it would be one of those, you know how every once in a while you like watch sports center and they really start promoing like UFC fights. It's not mm-hmm. like something they do regularly. It's not part of their mainstream content, but every once in a while you get like the Poirier McGregor fight that, that will kind of make its way into mainstream sports media if Francis Ngannou and John Jones fight, that will be a, a like a Sports Center headline. They will they will be talking about it. It will be just this massive, massive thing. Damn. Yeah, it's a shame. John Jones was. 
I mean, Anderson Silva, Silva was the one that like got me interested in the UFC and in, in, in MMA and yeah. like is a reason that I would go to, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings or wherever I would go and watch the fights. But John Jones is. And again, I'm not a UFC expert or anything, but I, I feel like is the best like mixed martial art fighter, mixed martial arts fighter ever. Like the fact that he went away for whatever time he did because of the you know out off the octagon off the court. Yeah. How, how, I don't know how you would phrase yeah. it, UFC, but you know <laughs> outside life issues away from the sport. Yeah, right. And then to come back and just come back and be as dominant as he was before is insane to me. And there's nothing he couldn't do. Like. And the, the cr- things that like he would try to do in fights was just insane. Like, did he was it Shogun? Who was it that he he opened up a fight with a flying knee? It doesn't you know it doesn't take an MMA expert to know that that's an insane thing to do. Is to go for a flying knee out of the gate? Yeah, yeah. He's. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's in the twilight of his career now. Uh, I thought he lost his last fight against Dominic Reyes, uh, but you know he. I don't, we'll see. He, I think Rashad Evans uh, made a great point this week about the negotiations, and he basically was like, John Jones has handled this thing completely wrong. He lost all the leverage that he possibly had as far as getting the big payday because he vacated the 205 belt. Uh, if, you know, if, if he had still had possession of the 205 belt, if he hadn't gained all the heavyweight weight, um, you know, then you you have a little bit more bargaining power. But he vacated that title. He's already gained the weight to fight at heavyweight. So it's like, you know, in, in some ways he lost the leverage to to be able to get what he wants out of the situation because he's he's already there. Like he's on the doorstep. Like, hey, I'm here. Let's do this. Instead of like, hey, you're gonna have to pay me because I'm the 205 champ and I'm gonna have to gain all this weight and I'm gonna have to completely transform my body. Uh, I don't know. It's 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 a fascinating situation, and if it happens, um, I will have a massive party. Uh, we'll set up like the projector in the on the back porch and and uh, just do it big because that will be an incredible event. Let me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's. I it, I guess it doesn't look super great that his last three fights have gotten a decision. He hasn't been able to finish his last three fights, which is not a, you know, I wouldn't say, I would say that's probably not a great sign yeah. that the dude's still at his peak. But do you think that he went up? Is there any, again, I'm completely novice at this point in MMA because I just, I've been so checked out for yeah. so long. Was it a necessary move to go up to heavyweight? Like, what's the light heavyweight division like? Because when I, when I was watching, the light heavyweight division was by far and away the best division. Yeah. With, you know, Anderson Silva. I know he fought at middleweight a lot, but he could go up to light heavy and fight, uh, ex- you know, exceptionally well. You know, yeah. Michael Bisping, Rashad Evans, like there were so many superstars at that 205. And now I just don't hear about any 205 guys. I hear about the the smaller guys like Habib and Connor and Poirier. I hear about the heavyweights, but like I just yeah. – is there money to be made at this point in the 205 division? Like are, would he just roll through everybody? Well, that's part of the problem is he kind of cleaned out the division <laughs> – for a long time. I mean, he was just, he was so much better than everybody that he beat everybody. So it was, right. uh, like, I, I would love to see him fight the current champion, Jan Blahovich at 205. Um, and look, Blahovich is an older guy. I think he's like 38 or 39. Uh, but he's, he's also a dude that just has insane power. Uh, but yeah, it just kind of, I think became a situation where 
as far as making money, there was just nothing left at 205 for John Jones to do. Uh, there was nothing left at 205, especially at the time that he vacated the belt. There was nothing left from a legacy standpoint to do. There was nothing left from a big payday to do. There just wasn't a contender at that point yeah. that said, hey, like, let's let's uh, let's build this thing. And, and so I think he just looked at what helps me from a legacy standpoint. That's winning the heavyweight title, just like Cormier did. Um, what helps me from a financial standpoint, that's fighting, whether it's Derek Lewis or Stipe or Nganu, like fighting the heavyweight champion. Like everything just pointed to him being so dominant at 205 for such a long period of time that they're at, as, again, it's different now because Jan Blachowicz has proven to be a worthy champion. But at the time he vacated, I don't think anybody was making the argument that there was still a lot to accomplish for him in that weight class. Yeah, I'm looking through his his record and like, he beat the name. He beat every name in that 205 division that I remember yeah. from watching when I was, you know, watching it intently, you know, eight, 10 years ago. Like Shogun, Rampage, Leota Machida, Rashad Evans, Vitor, Belfort, Chel Sonnen, yeah. Alexander Gustafson, like Glover Teixeira, Daniel Cormier, which I think Teixeira, did he drop for the, He was usually a heavyweight, right? Uh, I think he, he dropped. I can't remember. It's that's been so long. Uh, he's yeah. he's actually anyway, about to fight Jan for the two hundred five belt next. Heavyweight two hundred five. Okay, there yeah. you go. DC, like I mean, the dude, yeah. the dude rolled through the yeah. Any name that you could think of on there, he beat. So it's just yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I get trying to go up because there's you know money to be made in another division. I think Anderson Silva did the same thing in the middleweight division yeah. and had to move up to two hundred five right. to make any yeah. money. Clear everybody out and then. Uh, there's just not a lot of intrigue left. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Um, did you did you stay up and watch uh, March Madness last night? Um, I caught some of the UCLA game. I caught most of the Gonzaga game, which we talked a little bit about Gonzaga earlier. There's not much more to say about them. Uh, UCLA, though, going from a playing game to the Final Four is uh, pretty insane. Like, yeah. that is an unbelievable like thing to do. Like they, and they beat Michigan state. So it's not like they, I know Michigan state wasn't like, you know, yeah. the greatest team ever this year, obviously as they were in a playing game, but like, it's not like they rolled over some, you know, mid, mid major school. Like they had to beat a pretty decent program. Yeah. Well, probably one of the top 15, 10 to 15 programs in college basketball in the playing game. And then get through the, the region and, I mean, they you had know, to be Alabama and Michigan in back-to-back games. Right. Like that's that's legitimate. Those are good basketball teams. Yeah, like I, they... I had two big takeaways last night. Number one, I I don't know if you saw the end of the game. It is insanely disturbing how long it takes to play the final minute of a close NCAA tournament game. Dude, it's... it was brutal. I, brutal. I, I don't. I've like, I've had fun watching the tournament, but I know like, and I think I said this last week. I know why I don't watch college basketball in the regular season. Like I, as much as entertaining as I can, entertainment as I get out of the tournament, I know why I don't watch college basketball in the regular season because the product is not like it's not fun to watch. It's so many points in the game. Yeah, the fact that like you said, it takes so long to play the last two minutes. Oh, it was um, excruciating. Yeah. And it was good drama. Yeah, I, like I'm not, I'm not disputing that the drama when it was happening was good drama. It was just like the timeouts and the reviews. And 
you just have all of these elements and so many stoppages that like it took it took maybe 20 minutes. I don't even know the number and maybe I'm exaggerating. It it might have just felt like it took that long because I was I was tired, but it felt like it took 20 minutes to play the final 60 seconds of it that game. Probably did. It probably did. I I you know 5 to 10 years ago I was pro let's let's review as much as we can because let's get those calls right and not and make sure that the right team wins. I'm at the point now where I kind of just want like I'd be fine if all reviews in every sport went away. Yeah. And we just went back to how it was before. If you want you know if the NFL or football you want to review scoring plays during a commercial break, that's fine because there's going to be a commercial break there anyway. We've right. been programmed to think that there's commercial breaks after touchdowns or like after kickoffs or whatever. Like there's certain points in games we know there's going to be an extra point or a commercial break. But dude, just like yeah, it's stopping to review a charge or stopping to review like whatever it might be, and then I, I didn't watch the game. I just saw I saw Twitter blow up. But like to review as much stuff as they review than the as, that I've seen in the men's tournament. Yeah, that Baylor Connecticut game to not review that call at the end of the game that cost Baylor like yeah they, they can't even like review the right things. Yeah, they're reviewing. Yeah, it's it's insane that they review so much stuff at, at the NCAA refs. That they don't, and then they don't review the things that obviously need to be reviewed. Right, because the rules not written the, the correct way, so they're like, "Well, that's right. that's not reviewable." Yeah, it's it's yeah. so frustrating. But like, you know, and and last night it's it's the you know, let's take a TV timeout. Somebody calls a timeout so they can drop an inbound play, and then they go out there and they get ready for the inbound play, and then the other team calls a timeout to adjust to. Like, and that's after a review, and that's after like a couple fouls, and it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so excruciating to extend it like this like just play the the final min, minute of this game like let's just do it it's it's uh, a, uh it just it takes away from how good too. the product was because it was a close game that had a bunch of pivotal plays in the final minute but it just like to have such long it felt like extended breaks between every pivotal moment just kind of felt like in some ways it kind of dulled what would have been a pretty incredible sequence to, to close the game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, I, I, I don't know, man. I tweeted it out and I'm, you can bitch about NBA rest all you want, but at least I feel like for the most part, NBA officials are pretty consistent on how they call games. You, you have a good idea how a game's going to be called yeah. before the game starts. Right. In NCAA refs, it's like who knows? It feels like they're just completely making it up as they go on what they, where they want to blow their whistle and like what they like, how they want to officiate the game. It just yeah. and it sucks because the product on the court with the way the game is played is already down. Yeah, and we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum over the past couple of weeks. And then you add onto that, you know, just the refs kind of taking over games at certain points as far as like dictating the pace. I think we talked about that too. Is that it's so hard for yeah. any team to get in any kind of rhythm in college basketball at this at this point because the refs just cannot stop blowing their whistles. Yeah, that was we so talked about that after the Oklahoma or, State game. It was yeah, it was yeah. just like a foul every every other trip down the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm hoping that the final four games are good. I'm hoping the national championship game is good, but I also am fu- fully preparing for another situation like we had a few years ago where. The game takes three and a half hours because there's 900 yeah. free throws being shot. I would rather it be a slugfest and, you know, maybe maybe no, maybe no the field goal percentage from both teams is like 30%, but at least there's activity. I would rather have that than 
everybody in foul trouble, 50-plus free throws being shot by both teams, and, like, ugh, that, that type of yeah, game's absolutely it's... garbage. Okay, so that was, my, that was my first take after that game was over. I was just like, oh, this is so brutal. This final minute has taken forever. Why are we doing this? The second take, as I kind of reflected on the final four teams and what we have coming up on Saturday, it's Gonzaga, UCLA, and then Baylor and Houston. So we have two, like, non-power conference schools in this Final Four. Not to mention, it's not like they're underdog stories, right? It's a number one seed and a number two seed. Hang on. You really really call the Pac-12 a power conference? Uh, At this point, we call them a a power conference? Hey, how many many teams do they have in the Sweet 16? Like, five? Yeah, all of them. They were clearly they were clearly I better guess, than everybody else. I guess that's fair. They were arguably <laughs> the best conference in the tournament. That's you know that's that's fair. That's fine. I I did, I don't think I had. I'm trying to remember. I didn't have. I think USC was the only Pac-12 team I had in the Sweet 16, and then they were they were like the best conference in the first two rounds. I was Bible. like, oh, yeah. this is brutal. Um, but no, it's funny because I feel like we've talked about how much the sport has changed. And I feel like this Final Four matchup with Gonzaga and UCLA is the perfect irony for what the sport is, right? Like, who is UCLA as a basketball program? They have more national championships than anybody else with 11. They have the second most Final Four appearances of all time. And they are a play-in, first-four Cinderella story. UCLA. UCLA is yep. a Cinderella story. They're the most storied fra- they're the most storied program in college basketball history and they're the Cinderella story. And then on the other side, you have Gonzaga that forever was like the like the entire country just filled out Gonzaga to the Sweet 16 because they were everybody's favorite Cinderella. Now, right. they're not a Cinderella anymore. They are the team to beat. They're undefeated. They're, the Warriors, they're trying to maybe. do something yeah. that hasn't been done in our lifetime. They're the favorite I mean, it's it's just, it's so amusing to me how like the sport I grew up watching was UCLA is one of the you know the five best programs right. in college basketball, and certainly when you talk about all time, they have more championships than anybody, second most Final Fours as I mentioned, and they're the underdog in this thing. And Gonzaga, this mid-major university that that used to just be everybody's favorite upset pick, is now the team to beat. They are the gold standard of the sport. Yeah. And look, I mean, UCLA is kind of – look, I think that this is – this has to be, like, a tough year and possibly, like, a, a reevaluation of the way that these programs are building teams like Duke, uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, Michigan State. The, the one-and-dones, like, getting those top-tier recruits isn't going to translate to you winning titles because, yeah, UCLA is uh, – Obviously, you know, Cinderella story. Nobody expected them to go from where they were to where they're at. But they're a pretty old team. Like, they've got a lot of yeah. upperclassmen that play yeah. out in that team. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this experienced team with a lot of upperclassmen made it to the Final Four and beat teams like Alabama and and Michigan. They, they lucked out by Abilene Christian beating Texas, so they didn't have to play Texas uh, in that second round. But still, I mean— they beat some good teams. Obviously, you have to beat good teams to get to the Final Four. So, well, unless you're Houston, I, I think there's an right. Unless you're Houston, I'm kidding. But, like, I'm I think kidding. I'm kidding. People are gonna be like, oh, like, they didn't. They didn't beat a single single digit team. All the teams they faced to the Final Four were double digit seeds. Yeah, that's true. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they almost lost to Rutgers in the second round, which is a 
I guess it's not a good look. Oregon State, like Oregon State fought back in that game. You have to give them some credit. Like, but like Oregon, like yeah. any of those, you could look at most of those Pac-12 teams. I would imagine. I don't. I don't remember their entire roster at the top of my head, but I would imagine most of those Pac-12 schools are probably, you know, more experienced, have some more upperclassmen than teams like Duke or Kentucky do. Yeah. Because most, you know, Pac-12 schools aren't drawing big, you know, big recruits unless it's you know Washington getting Markel Fultz from you know in a random year. But yeah, I I think that. This might be a good year because Duke and Kentucky are sitting at home watching these teams play, and it's tough to. It's yeah. I don't care how good those those players are. It's tough to beat. It's tough to win five or six games in a row in a setting that the tournament is with a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year olds playing guys that have been in that tournament three or four times already, and a bunch of guys that don't have much chemistry. Right? Like we we've seen some teams do this. We saw the Anthony Davis Kentucky team make their run. We saw that Duke team with uh, Jalil Okafor and Justice Winslow and uh, was it Trey or Tyus Jones? I can't remember which Jones it was. Tyus. Tyus. Was um, the older one, yeah. Yeah, and, and we saw that group obviously make the run. But look, like the Zion team, I think, was way more talented than that Duke team, and they didn't get it done. Uh, and then you mm-hmm. add the pandemic and not having the opportunity to develop the same chemistry that you get in most years. I think it's even more emphasized this year that teams, you know, that, that had so many new faces on their roster didn't, didn't come together. Yeah. I'd be curious. I also, I would be curious to get into the mind of those, you know, top recruits like the Zions and the uh, RJ Barrett's and stuff like that. And like, I wonder if they could like how much the fact that they know that they're going to the NBA after that year plays in their head, like, I need to kind of, I kind of need to stand out in this game. Like, I don't, I want to win, but like, I know it's more important that I stand out in this game because I'm going to the NBA next year and I need to like, if me playing well in these next two games and standing out is the difference between, from me going nine to going to three or whatever and making a difference in millions of dollars out of the draft or whatever the money might be. Right. I'd be curious to get in their heads there too. Like, because like a UCLA, these UCLA teams, like how, how many of those dudes legitimately think they're going to the NBA? Yeah, I, mean, I guess I more, than a, more uh, than a couple, yeah. But yeah, it's a good. I mean, question. Sharif O'Neal is the biggest name they have. Does he play? I can't like. I, I don't. I I haven't seen him play. Is he? I didn't even. To be honest with you, uh, I didn't even know he was on the roster. Oh no, he transferred. That's I'm sorry, he transferred. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't ever remember seeing Sharif O'Neal play for them. So I forgot. I forgot he transferred to uh, LSU. Or is transferring to LSU. Yeah, yeah he did, went in the middle did, wait, of the season. Did Zion even play in the tournament? I can't remember. I because I remember. I remember he had the no. shoe blowout, and then like he didn't play for a while. But I can't remember if he played in the tournament or not. I feel like I remember him shutting it down sometime, like in the middle of the uh, conference play. Yeah, that, I think that that's right. Let's see. That was 2019, right? Duke was a one seed. And they they made it to the Elite Eight and lost to Michigan State. Let me see if with uh, Zion, I could, yeah. Let me see. If Zion I can't. I, I, I'm like completely blank on whether he was in that NCAA tournament or not. The thing that he stands out to it. me most was just that again that shoe blowout, wearing the PGs, mm-hmm. and then like they shut him down. He did play. He did play in the. Uh, ACC tournament. He was the MVP of the ACC tournament. Okay. Mm. 
see if he played. Uh, check this box score from the Elite Eight games. See if he played. Gross. Why? By the Why? way, I don't know if you saw the final shot last night uh, for for Michigan, but there was like six seconds left. The defense from UCLA was abhorrent. It was so bad. Like, the guy catches the ball with momentum going up the floor, gets to the three-point line, has a wide-open shot. Probably, if he had maybe stutter-stepped right there, probably could have got to the rim for a layup to tie the game. So bad. Yeah, I've seen some. uh, Zion did play in the tournament. Okay. uh, Yeah, he had, in that Elite Eight game against Michigan State that Duke lost, he had 24 and 14. Oh, okay. And three blocks, yeah. So he yeah, played thirty-seven minutes. I can't game. remember. I, I I have zero memory of him in the in the tournament or not. So, yeah. Let me uh, let me run down this Michigan State team to for you that beat them in the Elite Eight game. And I think this probably reiterates the point that we were just making a second ago about experience mattering and you know throwing these one and dones into the tournament. It doesn't usually translate to winning. Aaron Henry, Xavier Tillman. Kenny Goins, Cassius Winston, Matt McQuaid, Gabe Brown, and Nick Ward are the guys that checked in in the Elite Eight game for Michigan State. Wow. Yeah. Zero NBA players, players, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to, if you're going to win in the tournament, you have to have dudes that can play together. Now, maybe Gonzaga could be the exception this year. But I think that there's also an argument that the rest of the Lance, the rest of the college basketball is just. Not you know, kind of down a little bit. This is a perfect year for Gonzaga to, you know, have a great team and go undefeated. Well, yeah, but Gonzaga has veterans. They, yeah, you're right. They do have veterans. Yeah. I guess I just get caught up in like Timmy's a sophomore and, um, you know, Suggs is a freshman. But yeah, they, yeah. they, you're right. They do have because before Suggs, they weren't. It's not like they were bringing in five star recruits every year. Right. Yeah. Suggs is their first five star recruit. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. You, now they might get into a cycle now where they start bringing in more five stars and Absolutely. see more one and dones there. And then we see them struggle to, you know, make it far in the tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Suggs is a freshman. Um, let's see. Timmy, sophomore, uh, Andrew Nimhard, junior, uh, Joel Ayaye, redshirt junior. Um, Kispert is a senior. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and the perfect thing for them is, you know, you add this five-star point guard to a group that has already a lot of chemistry and veteran presence. And, you know, that's why, going back to what I said at the beginning of the show, Gonzaga can beat you in so many ways because on any given night, it can be any one of those dudes as the star. But there's like, there's so little ego on this team and so much experience that, you know, if it's Drew Timmy that's going one night or if it's Corey Kispert that's going one night, Nobody else tries to force the issue. Everybody just kind of settles into whatever role the game kind of dictates. Like that, that, mm-hmm. that's just the, you know, it's not like I watched every Gonzaga game this year, but I did have the opportunity to watch them a handful of times. And that was the thing that always stood out to me. It's, you know, like one game I, I'm singing uh, Jalen Suggs praises. And then the next game, like he doesn't do a whole lot, but he's just kind of doing what is needed within that game because it's, you know, it's somebody else that's rolling along. So a uh, little bit more uh, stuff on UCLA. Uh, they did not make it past the quarterfinals in the Pac-12 tournament. They lost their first game they played in the Pac-12 tournament. <laughs> they have not been ranked in the AP poll since the preseason poll. No, I'm sorry. They were. They were 21 in, uh, at one point. So there was a couple weeks there and there. But 
mo- not ranked 13 out of the 16 AP polls. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Got on a roll, man. And they're back. It, you know. You know. The disrespected Pac-12 proving us all wrong. Best conference in the country. I mean, it's hard to argue with. Yeah. They have like four or five teams in the last 16. I think they have four uh, in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Unbelievable. Although USC, I, I was really excited for that USC-Gonzaga game. I just, not that I, I thought USC would win. I, I absolutely didn't think that was the case. But I did think their length and athleticism might push Gonzaga in, in some way. And uh, it's crazy. Gonzaga's in the Final Four now, and I think OU probably played them better than anybody. Yeah, I mean, OU, uh, definitely in the beginning of the game, they got out to a good yeah. start, and it really seemed like they were going to make a game of it. Yeah. And then, well, even just, even with the lead up. in the second half, it was one of those situations where OU was doing just enough to keep Gonzaga's starters in and keep, like, just holding that lead. Like, it, you know, they were never able to really put OU away. It always just kind of felt like OU was always a basket or two from kind of swinging the momentum maybe like mm-hmm. they seem to have answers to prevent the, the blowout from happening for the majority of the game even though again I think in the second half you know you got the 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 lead started to to grow but yeah, Gonzaga is just really good um before we hit baseball because tomorrow's opening day I, I have to bring this up because I like I, I'm a draft geek an NFL draft geek I love the process of the draft from just the way that players are evaluated through like just all the different perspectives from the end of the season until the draft actually happens. I have absolutely loved the last couple weeks with all these pro days, how like literally after every pro day, like insert new player here is the best player available at his position. Okay. Okay. You okay. I I don't know where you're going with this. I'm glad you brought this up because I do want to talk about one clip one one okay. 15 second clip from a pro day okay because it was the, the I assume you saw the Zach Wilson throw that went that was trending yeah 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 where viral. he threw against his body rolling left oh yeah Look, sick throw we've got we've gotten to a point where we've seen a lot there's not a lot that we haven't seen a quarterback do yeah. with the football like between Matt Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and insert whoever you want Andrew Luck Justin Herbert like We've seen quarterbacks do a lot. There's not much we haven't seen. Right. That was insane. Like, that was yeah. an absolutely absurd throw. Yeah. Like, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers might be the, the – and look, who – I was like – we we dogged on him a lot, but was it Chris Sims or was it somebody else that said – Chris Sims. The only people – the only quarterbacks yeah. he has seen that has arm strength comparable to what Zach Wilson yeah. does or vice versa, however you want to word it, is Zach Wilson. Like, after seeing that, I'm like, you know what? He might be right. He Zach Wilson might be on Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes level arm strength. Here's the best thing. You you clearly haven't seen the clip of Sam Darnold doing it in a game last season for the Jets. That's fair. Dude, yeah, there, I, there I, is, I do remember your top. Yeah, this yeah, is I my favorite that. part of this because like exactly what you're talking about. Zach Wilson makes that throw. And look, for if anybody is discounting the ability that it was shown in that throw, like you're crazy. That is a sick throw. Like to be able to do that is is insanely gifted talent from, from from Zach Wilson. But there there's also a clip of Sam Darnold in a game rolling to his left, making the exact yeah, same throw. And it's it again, it's hilarious because it's like, oh my God, look at what this kid can do. And then the guy they want him to replace in New York literally did that in a game last year. 
Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. I I do remember that. I remember that throw. Um, I want to say it was like against the Dolphins or something. I do remember it though. Um, and to to kind of play devil's advocate to me getting super excited. There is, it is different to be in a pro day and say I'm gonna do this right now. I plan on doing this. I'm gonna roll out throw against yeah. my body just so I can do it. And doing it in a game when you're about to get hit by, you know, JJ Water and Dominic and Sue or whoever. Like it is different to doing it in a controlled environment of pro day and but to have that game, ability so. is still off the charts yeah special. oh yeah his arm yeah. it's insane his arm strength is insane yeah. i'm and two also uh i'm the san francisco trading up to three made things super interesting yeah um i think they would be stupid not to go with justin fields i know that like they kind of like mac jones and mac jones is trying to talk himself up to go to that offense but i is there a big difference be, i think mac jones might be it might be better we don't really know at this point, but I think he might be better. But is he really that different than what Jimmy G offers you in an offense? Yeah, I mean, as far as the type of quarterback he is, yeah, I mean, he's going to – he's he's doing a lot of the same things. He doesn't add that extra dimension that Justin Fields might or that Trey Lance might. So, right. um, yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, I, I talked about this with Steely on Monday. Uh, it's, you know, speaking of irony – Five years ago, obviously, Trevor Lawrence is a special talent that, like, no matter what era you put him in, you know, just that arm ability is, is he's going to be viewed the way he's viewed this year. But, like, if you look at all these other guys, I mean, we were, we're just a few years removed from Lamar Jackson getting picked with the last pick of the first round and people just being completely shocked that Lamar Jackson was a first-round pick. And, you know, I, I think for a long period of time, it's just been all about, like, the guy that can stand in the pocket and read defenses and make precision throws, which is what Mac Jones is. And now we've reached this point where like, if you're not mobile, then, uh, you know, Mac Jones is like, my point is five years ago, Mac Jones is probably the number two quarterback on pretty much everybody's list. Yeah. But the game has changed so much that he's like the fifth of the five projected first round quarterbacks by nearly everybody. Simply for for the mobility issue, right? Yeah, I, I don't know why, and I don't know what the mindset of front offices is, but like, I don't, I don't know why they don't have more of the mindset that we could teach this dude how to read a defense. Like, we can take this yeah. physically gifted guy and easily teach him how to read it. Like, if if we're good coaches, we should be able to teach him how to read a defense. It may not be great the rookie year. Like Lamar Jackson was not good uh, his rookie year through the air or reading defenses. He just was running everywhere. Yeah. But well, he some people improved. still he, think that's an issue for him, right? Sure. Possibly so. Yeah. Takes time. You know, you, in NFL defense has changed uh, game to game, snap to snap. Like it's, it, you have to learn to adjust and read mid game. Oh, it takes time. But if I'm San Francisco, I'm looking at it this way. I could get Mac Jones who might be a higher upside version of Jimmy Garoppolo, or I could get Justin Fields who is Colin Kaepernick level athletic with a way higher upside through the air, you know, yeah. in the passing game. I think I he's think more athletic yeah, than Kaepernick. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there's easily an argument to be made that he's more athletic. So, I think they would be stupid. Why trade up? Like, there's no point in trading up to three to take Mac, Mac Jones. Yeah. You're trading up you. to three to take Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I've. by the way, I've watched more Trey Lance, and I can't help but like Trey Lance. Like, it's... Yeah. I, I don't know that I, I would take him over, like, a Justin Fields... But man, I mean, just when when you watch him and think about what he could be capable of, 
Uh, he's he's a really fun prospect. Yeah, I saw uh, I saw a mock draft the other day that had New England trading with Atlanta at four and taking Trey Lance. I like that. Yeah, yeah, could do a lot worse. Yeah, um, but no, I've seen uh, like I've seen the best corner in this draft change multiple times over the last couple weeks. The best edge rusher, the best safety. Like it's uh, again every time there's a pro day, it's like whoever just finished their pro day and impress people like immediately as the new like favorite toy, you know, yeah. it's, it's it, again, it, it just, it, I, I get why that happens. Uh, but it might be my favorite part of, of the process. I've always wondered why like scouts or whatever are never like, I'd like to see this guy run a 40 in pads. Right. <laughs> like, is it like, I don't understand we'll why that's suit never this just guy like, up and let him take off. Yeah. Like what? I'd yeah. rather, you know what, let's, I want to watch him run in his underwear, see how fast he can run. Yeah. I don't really care how fast he can run in his pads. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so like, it's just it's funny that like nobody's ever just been like, why don't we do this in pads? Yeah. You don't have to have contact, but yeah, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Should be, should be good. Miami. I love that Miami doing great stuff. Like it makes so much sense. Are they at six or 12 right now? They're at 12 right now, right? No, they're at six. They traded they, out of three. They traded out, yeah. They traded out of three with San Francisco, moved to twelve, and then they back traded with Philly back to six, and so Philly's now from six to twelve. Which I they got more draft picks, so it makes sense. But hell, it, whether they were at twelve, three, or six, Miami's going to get what they need. They're going to get a top tier receiver. Yeah, at three, tw- at three, six, or twelve. So Miami's front office is killing it right now. Houston's front office, meanwhile, is just watching their pick yeah. go from all over the place, but yeah, so I'm excited. I'm getting more excited for the draft. These trades have uh, kind of spiced things up for me a little bit. Miami at three was kind of just yeah. like a boring spot because there was no intrigue on what they were going to do. Right. Now San Francisco's up there and like, they're a Super Bowl contender. Like just as, as constructed right now, they're a contender in the NFC and now they're at three yeah. about to take potentially a superstar quarterback for the next 10 years. Yeah, and, and it's a no-lose situation, right? Like, if if uh, you don't get rid of Jimmy G, he's serviceable until your next guy is ready. Um, if the other guy, you know, doesn't give you what you like in practice, like, he's still going to have a lot of value for somebody else. Like, it's a I, – I, I love the move. Um, and here's the other thing. It keeps my hope of Kyle Pitts being available at 10 uh, alive because I think Philadelphia, to me, was the biggest worry well, spot agree. for Kyle Pitts, and now they're out of the top 10 – so you look at Miami, and and speaking of pro days, LSU had their pro day today. Jamar Chase ran a four three eight forty. Of course. And his his vertical and broad jump measured more than DK Metcalf and Julio Jones. Of course, we're gonna get to a point where some dude's gonna run a three nine eight at his pro day. I know. So, I feel like Cincinnati is taking tackle, whether it's Sewell or Slater or whoever. And then you have six Miami taking Jamar Chase. And then you start looking at like Detroit doesn't feel like they're uh, going tight in. I mean, they just took yeah, Hawkinson a couple Hawkinson, years ago yeah. and they, you know, they, they have other needs. Um, but look, so does Dallas. Everything so maybe, maybe, maybe they do the same thing Dallas does and just say, you know what? This guy's so much better than like anything else that's available. We just have to take him. But I think, I think Carolina is scary because they need a quarter. They desperate. They definitely need a quarterback, yeah. but I guess it really just depends where they evaluate 
Mac Jones at that point because Kyle Trask isn't like Kyle Trask is not a first round yeah. talent. As much as Chris Sims wants us to believe it, uh, Kellen Mond's not a first round talent. So, but what if it, what if San Francisco takes Mac Jones at three, and then you have either like Justin Fields or Trey Lance available for Carolina at that spot? They're definitely taking that guy. Do you th- do you okay? Do you think there's no way that happens though? Why would San Francisco? Why would San Francisco? Mac Jones would probably be there. Why would they move to three? It doesn't make it like I can't imagine that being the scenario. It would be wild if it was. If Mac Jones ended up going three, that's, but that's the rumor mill, man, that they like Mac Jones. No way. No chance. They might like Mac Jones, but Justin Fields is, you don't trade up to three to take Mac Jones. You trade up to three to take Justin Fields. Now, Trey Lance being there, I think that's interesting. I mean, it's all, that makes another, another interesting point because yeah. if Atlanta keeps their fourth pick, who knows? They may, Kyle Pitts could go to Atlanta. He could. If Atlanta yeah. stays in that four spot, then he could go to Atlanta. Yeah. Um, they don't really need more weapons, but there's not a defensive guy up at the top of the draft that you could justify taking it for. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of intrigue. Um, yeah. I, yeah, the draft, I mean, the draft starts at what, like three? Or I guess, yeah, three probably. Because you know where the first two teams are going. New York, you don't know who they're going with, but you know it's going to be Zach Wilson or Justin Fields. Well, there, after that, I, I don't knows? know. There's still I, – uh, I was talking to a Jets guy the other day, and not. I think the thought is it's going to be Zach Wilson, but like that, you, know, you have Sam Darnold, and it's not a guarantee that, that, that that's the path they're going to take. So um, – I was told that, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be a shock if they, like, just said, hey, we're going to go get Kyle Pitts, or they added another tackle. Um, but, you know, uh, I think it, the the bet, the odds favorite is a quarterback there, and it's Zach Wilson. I, I think, yeah, I think that, I think that's probably that guy just kind of hedging his bets. I, you have a new regime coming in, you've got a new, you know, a new head coach, like a whole new like it's a whole new yeah situation in New York with the front office and the coaching staff. I I cannot imagine that they're going to go in there and say let's give Darnold another year. They're going to want their own quarterback. Like Darnold's been there for 3 or 4 years now and you could you could make an argument that we never really got a true gauge on how good he was because the rest of the team was so bad around him and yeah. he, he Darnold did have flashes so that he could be a good NFL quarterback, but doesn't matter. Like you got to get your own dude in there, and we kind of have a good idea of what Sam Darnold is and what he can be. Justin Fields could be an MVP. Yeah. Zach Wilson could be an MVP. Like you just can't, you already suck. You're already terrible. Why not go get a new quarterback yeah. and try and you know start fresh? Yeah, well, my just, biggest thing I is I cannot imagine this scenario. Even if Darnold does turn it around, like you're talking about a rookie contract quarterback versus let's just say he does like completely become a, a great quarterback yeah, at least 100 million dollars then, yeah. then all of a sudden yeah your quarterback position just like multiplied by 10 as far as fi- right. what, you know the financial concentration on that position so yeah I think it's I, I don't see how they would go anything but quarterback but well, I mean who knows I, I think Kyle Pitts like if you ask me if you have the number one pick in this draft and everybody had empty rosters the number one pick is Trevor Lawrence but I, I for me I the number two pick is Kyle Pitts I'd say I would agree. He's probably the second best player in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Just from a talent perspective of what, yeah, his potential. But, um, yeah, but, but come on, Chris Herndon. We've been waiting for like three years for Chris Herndon to do something. I think this is the year. He's finally going to break out. I don't even you don't know. Need who, the tight end. I don't even know who that is. 
I only know him because he's like he's on the like sleepers list for fantasy football every year. Uh, he's a Jets tied in every every year. Somebody, everybody's like, okay, Chris Hearn's gonna have a good year this year. He's gonna break out, and then he ends up with like four catches for like eighteen yards. It's happened for like three years in a row. That's amazing. Yeah, I've never. I don't know that I've ever heard that name. So, probably for a reason. Because yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, tomorrow is opening day, Aaron. Major League Baseball has arrived. This is where probably some people listening to this are like, click. Uh, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. So. Baseball is not for everybody, and that's that's totally fine. I get it. Um, it's not for everybody. But uh, Aaron and I are both big baseball fans. Um, and you know, last year the opening day kind of felt weird, like when they finally got things going. It, it's in like July. Yeah, but like even with that, it just kind of—I don't know. It was always just. There's something about opening day and like the pageantry of it, I guess, that was missing yeah. last year that it kind of feels like at least we're getting back this time around. Yeah, it just, especially with Major League Baseball, it didn't handle COVID very well last year either. So like, yeah, opening day last year when it, when it happened in, I guess it was July, it just felt very like wrong. I don't know. It just felt like they shouldn't be playing. It didn't feel like they were doing the right, like the NBA had the bubble, they figured it out, and then baseball was just like, we're going to travel, We're gonna teams are just going to travel, I mean, we're going to play regionally, but they're still going to go to airports, they're going to fly. The Cardinals didn't play for be- like a month or something, right? Like they, like right. they, they yeah. played like a series or something, and then they didn't play again for like a month? The Marlins made the playoffs and played like 10 less games than all yeah. the other teams. yeah. And that was another thing, too. I, that that bugged the hell out of me. Adding the playoff teams last year was annoying to me. But anyways, yeah, it just didn't feel like – it felt wrong. I don't know. It just it – didn't, I didn't feel like I should be watching baseball at that point. Yeah. And then I, I, I'm at the – I think we're to a point where, like, this season could be a little bit more normal. Obviously, some teams are not going to have any fans. Some are. Apparently, the Rangers are potentially going to go to max capacity. Well, I, so, they, they are uh, maxing it out for opening day, and then, or at least after that, the last report I read was that they were going to max capacity for opening day, and then they were going to limit. limit after that. Yeah, which I don't understand the point. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> Is it that important that you sell out on opening day? Which are they even going to sell out on opening day? Oh, they'll sell out. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Okay, I guess I I guess I forget that uh, most people haven't been to that stadium unless you were like one of the few people that had playoff tickets last year. Right. Which I need to. I'm gonna have to make it down for a game because that doesn't play well on TV. I'm curious how it uh, how it looks in person. Well, I think the inside of it looks amazing. It's it's uh, the outside that, looks like a Home Depot. Yes, it's the like it's pop, the yeah. overhead like blimp view from above where it's like is that just a giant warehouse or what? What the hell is that? It's thing? Like a tin building. Yeah, but just, yeah, the inside looks looks fantastic. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited though. Uh, Houston's, I think Houston has not. Uh, they they're either doing restricted or no fans to open the season. Um, I would imagine they're probably doing restricted, uh, like limited tickets. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, that there, there's the one thing I can say about baseball that makes it fun is I know the Dodgers have kind of been overkill lately as far as like dominating but like it's it's kind of hard to predict how seasons are going to go in major league baseball yeah for sure there's a little bit more parody and like unknown going into the season and how it plays out because the season's so long there's injuries all this stuff rookies play a huge part in baseball and guys that you never you don't know if they're even going to play in the majors it's there's so many aspects yeah. to making baseball fun but yeah i'm excited back to 162 game season i'm going to try and uh 
I made it a goal to get back into like a routine of watching a game a night or a game yeah. every other night like I used to. Just uh, yeah, I'm excited, man. It's it's gonna be fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, for for as, as dominant, I guess as the uh, as the Dodgers have been, they've only won one World Series. So I mean, they've been there a lot, but right. There's fall, been yeah, but there's yeah, been years that they over were stacked. Yeah, there's been years that they were stacked and lost in the division round. There's been years right. they were stacked and made it to the World Series and lost. Obviously, they won last year, but they played Tampa Bay. Tampa, I mean, going into the season, Tampa Bay had a good team, but who the hell expected them to make it to the World Series? Yeah. Or, or yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I was I think, uh, yesterday. Um, I was talking to Eric G, and he has the Rays back in the World Series, and I'm like, you know, their their rotation is completely different this year. Uh, I mean, that was, that was a big part of their success, but I mean, you, you just never know. Like I, I didn't have them, uh, nobody knew who Randy Arozarena was at this time a year ago. And look, I think he was a St. Louis Cardinal at this time a year ago. He was. Yeah. He uh, was. and then like he sets all these postseason records and becomes, has like the greatest individual postseason that we've ever seen in baseball history. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, a very interesting sport from that perspective. But look, I think, um. Uh, like the entire NL East, I think is really interesting. Uh, the Braves and the Mets um, both have, you know, obviously just loaded lineups. Um, you look at the the Padres and the Dodgers, like in the same division. That those two teams are both completely stacked. Uh, I love the White Sox young roster. Uh, the Yankees obviously are just loaded from top to bottom. Uh, it's yeah, I, I think uh, the Red Sox suck, which is weird, yeah, right? But yeah, but I mean, who knows? Like, like we're just talking about baseball is so unpredictable. The Red Sox could win ninety five games. Like, there's just yeah. teams like dudes just have random years. Like, there's so many MLB players you could go through and just be like, they were amazing for one year and then just kind of right just never got it back or whatever. Yeah, like a Rosarina could easily come out in the first month and hit ten home runs and bat three fifty, or he could hit two ten. Right. Like baseball is just pretty unpredictable about performances. Now you get guys like Mike Trout who've done it long enough, but like young guys, it's kind of harder to predict. But remember yeah, when Yasiel think, Puig uh, for like two or three months was like the best player in baseball when he yes, first like hit yeah. the scene and yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he's even on a I, if he's on a roster now, he's like their fourth outfielder. Last I saw, he was a free agent. If he signed somewhere, I missed that news. But yeah, that's the last I saw as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah, there are things that I hate about baseball as far as like their CBA and the way that they handle, like I think that the service time thing is completely messed up. And I, I think it sucks that like, if you become a good player when you're 29 or 30, you're going to, you're going to, you're never going to get paid. You're never going right. to get a big contract unless a team just does you a solid and throws some money at you. Right. But it does on the counter, on the counter allow for a little bit more parity because teams that don't have money like the Yankees, like the Rays are able to keep these good players for, you know, and extend their window to like three or four years. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody like you see the like Bryce Harper contract and the contracts that are given out to those guys, but, and it's like, go play baseball. Everybody's making money. But I mean, the service time is yeah. obviously an issue and look like Ronald Acuna a couple years ago, like, he could have either waited for seven years and then got like that Bryce Harper contract, or I think he ended up taking a deal where he got like 90 million over the course of, I don't even remember the years, but like you look at it and it's certainly not his worth at the same time. They didn't have to give that to him. They could have just, you know, waited him out and, and let him play until 
he was actually due. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a tricky thing where you just the timing has to be so right to maximize on yeah. that you know that free agent signing after you your service time is up. Yeah, and I mean, and like I think that I don't know if this is a thing, but I think a lot of people might think that minor league players get paid more than they do. Like, there's a lot of dudes playing in double and triple A that are making like sixty thousand a year, which is good. Like, I would kill to make sixty grand a year, but just relative to what dudes in you know major leagues are making out on their first free agent contract, and right. then not to mention you play in the minors for six years. And then you go to the majors and you have to play for six years before you get a free agent contract. Yeah. That's 12 years of playing professional baseball before you are even eligible to be a free agent. Yeah. Well, it's why it's why uh, all the top prospects start seasons in the minor leagues, right? Like, yeah, you manipulate the time. Like, yeah, you get an extra year out of them. Like right. they, it's common play. Like the Cubs did it with Chris Bryant. Uh, the Nationals did it with Bryce Harper. Like it's, it's just common procedure at this point that, you don't call a guy up until it's like at least the third week of April. Yeah, like that like way, the fact that the, the Padres, I remember, like them throwing Tatis right into it was a shocker the to season, everybody. Yeah, yeah. 100%. and then then obviously he got the massive contract because uh, he's been so good. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, that contract was like fourteen for four hundred or something like that. Something's crazy. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know where the the Padres like. Have the Padres have done this thing over the past like 15 years where they randomly just get like a billion dollars <laughs> to spend, and then they'll be like, "Ah, we don't have any money. Uh, we're we're gonna have to trade everybody." Yeah. Oh, we have a billion dollars again. Here's a here's Matt Camp. Here's 500 million dollars. Oh yeah. Have you ever been to San Diego? But, uh, Everything's expensive, man. Everything's expensive. Yeah. I I love it. It's like my maybe my favorite place in the United States, but I've never been. It's, it's yeah. It's I mean. I play NFL. If I'm Fernando Tatis, I I have a chance to just ensure that I'm going to be in San Diego for 15 years. I'd probably take that deal. Yeah. I probably, but that four hundred, I probably need $400 million. So, you know, buy a nice house in San Diego. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm excited though. I, I agree with you. I like the, uh, I like the white Sox. They seem like, I I think Aloy Jimenez is another guy that just started the opening day roster. They didn't manipulate his, his service time. Uh, but yeah, I like them. Uh, Tony Larusa being a manager is weird. Uh, just I I don't know if it's just weird because he's like 95 years old and hasn't managed in 10 years, or the fact that he went to Chicago, the White Sox. Like I I, I don't know, but yeah, I, I like them. The like you said, the Yankees and the Rays are good. I like Toronto. I think if Toronto's pitching can step up this year, their offense is yeah should be loaded. Adding George Springer to the middle of the lineup who. Somehow, I, most people, unless you're like really into baseball, kind of just slept on George Springer being the best player on Houston for the past two years. Agreed. Um, By far the most consistent. Pitch, yeah, I mean, you could probably argue George Springer is one of the 10 best hitters in playoff history. Absolutely. Like yeah, just built for the playoffs. So if they can make a run, they're good. I think Cleveland's still going to be good. I think that... Losing Lindor obviously is going to hurt, but I think their pitching is still really good. I think that Jose Ramirez and Framo Reyes, like they still have a good lineup. Cleveland, so I'm I'm there on Cleveland still. Minnesota is going to be good. The AL West I think is going to suck. I think the AL West yeah. is going to be a pretty tough watch this year. Texas might be the worst team in baseball outside of Detroit and Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, they're they're not but, good at all. 
Yeah, I don't. Oakland, Oakland's tough to call. Oakland's usually just they find a way to be good. Seattle's gonna suck. The Angels, it kind of just feels like we always like we always anticipate this being their year, and then their pitching's terrible. Yeah, they're always great on paper, and then like baseball actually happens, and it's like, oh, the Angels yeah. are terrible. Uh, and the and, and, and then the opposite for the A's, right? Like on paper, you're always like, ugh, the A's, and then they're they they just put it yeah. together every year. Yeah, find a way to get some random dude hit two ten batting third in their lineup, but they still win ninety games. <laughs> yeah. What you don't see is he hits like 780 in every like game winning opportunity. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Their pitching doesn't does like keeps it like a one run game, and then for whatever reason, yeah, in the yeah. eighth inning, that dude just rakes. Yeah, the A's every year. Every year they're good. Best uniforms in. Uh, I'll say they have the best. Their home wise might be the best uniforms in sports. They're really good, man. They are really good. I w- w- back in uh, the Ricky Henderson days when Ricky had the high socks with the stirrups. I mean that was that was the look, dude. And like, they've just committed to wearing white cleats and like that. I think I when I was a kid, I thought that was the coolest thing that yeah. like they wore white cleats. Like yeah. the no other teams were like, oh, we just with that's our thing. So yeah, their uniforms are home uniforms are freaking. Uh, they're pretty solid. So top notch. Yeah. Yeah, the white shoes, the yellow, the the Ricky Henderson look, the yellow socks and the green stirrups, so good. It's tough to beat, but uh, yeah, I feel bad for him. They're playing a dump, but yeah, yeah. I'm a. It's a dump on the show I, too. Have you have you played the show? Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, I hate even in the show in they 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 tarp off the top. Deck. <laughs> yeah, I hate playing in Oakland on the show. It's like, oh, I gotta go play in this ballpark. It sucks. They're they're like even in the video game they're like they're no, we can't sell out this stadium. <laughs> yeah. Tarp it off. Yeah, I uh, uh, I played a season with the Rangers and I just hated, um, like I hated playing. I don't know why. I just hated playing in Seattle. I hated playing in uh, in Oakland. Um, where else did I hate, uh, Detroit and Minnesota oh, Detroit sucks. and Baltimore. Yeah. And, uh, there were just so many places in the AL that I didn't like playing that I ended up like, uh, creating a team. I created the Oklahoma city 89ers with the old, like 89ers logo. Cause you can upload the old like logos. Uh-huh. So I uploaded the old OKC 89ers minor league logo and I replaced the, uh, Arizona diamondbacks. So I, I got their roster uh, and, like, repl- like obviously rebranded. And so that way, playing in the NL West, you get to play at the Dodgers, which is a great stadium. You get to play at San Diego. Uh, you get to go to uh, – what is AT&T? Is, it, is AT&T in San Francisco still? I, I think they... they changed the name, like, last year. Okay, wherever San before. Francisco is. Yeah. And then Colorado. That's the, it, that is the best division to play away games in. Outside of Arizona, which, you know, I'm not a big dome guy, so uh, I, I like I like all those open-air stadiums in the NL West other than Arizona. So I replaced Arizona and got their schedule, and it was a lot of games in those ballparks. It's uh, Oracle Park now. Oracle, I guess Oracle is just yeah, buying everything it. in San yeah. Francisco. Um, I have a funny story about, uh, about the Diamondbacks. So I went to a game in Arizona a few years ago. Um, a few buddies of mine and myself, we were, we were road tripping to Los Angeles and I was like, we, we're going to drive right through Phoenix. The, like the Diamondbacks have a game 
at six, we should just stop and like go to the game. Yeah. Because how I mean how we're we're gonna drive through Phoenix. How often are we just in Phoenix? Let's just go to a game. We were there for like two and a half innings, <laughs> and I just jokingly was like, I was like, because Arizona had gotten the bases loaded, and I was like, all right, if this dude hits a grand slam, we have to leave. And then like the next pitch, he hits a grand slam. And then I was like, I was like, all right, we got. It. And then we just left because like everybody around us was like, bye. And you left. We I, we said we would, and there was like twenty people around us. Like, oh, you gotta leave now. You said you would leave. You said you would do it. So we left. That's or, the, I mean, that's guess, the most but, insane story I've ever heard. Now, if we would have been staying the night in Phoenix or something like that, it might have been different. Yeah. But like, we were just gonna continue driving to L.A through the night so gotcha. it probably was a little bit easier to just walk out knowing that we saw to drive 10 hours but yeah i couldn't we couldn't stay there after i publicly like i loudly expressed to everybody in our section that if they had a grand slam right there we were leaving i i imagine the place slam. wasn't full you probably could have relocated sections that definitely was not full i uh, i am being generous by saying that our section because it was like 30 rows it was 20 people but I was like, uh, all right. But the also, stadium, if it though, was like Diamondbacks Pirates, I, I probably don't blame you because I don't. It, I don't. I don't even remember who they were playing. If that tells you anything, it might have yeah. been the Rockies for all. I, excuse me. Uh, have you ever been to a game there? I haven't. It's it's not great. I can see why they're trying to get a new stadium. It's yeah. It. it 20 years ago, I could see how that stadium would be impressive. But now it's just very, I don't know, it just, it it doesn't have any like charm to it. It doesn't have, it doesn't right. feel like anything. It just kind of feels like right. you're just in a building with some like metal beams that they play baseball in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And th- like, that's the thing about that division is you have Oracle's great because you have the, the bay over the right field wall. Um, obviously, you know, Dodger stadium with, the with the mountains in the background, San Diego is, is fantastic. Um, yeah, you got the shipping, the, yeah, uh, the wear, metal supply company, yeah, the metal supply yeah. company, um, Colorado, you know, the thin air, uh, yeah, it's like you have like, that's the best division for stadiums. And then there's Arizona's dome. Yeah, it's not, it hasn't aged well. That's for it sure. Just, yeah, you're right. It just doesn't have any charm to it. It's just, which like, is, yeah, it's but it's not impossible because Houston built their stadium just a couple of years after like Minute Maid opened, or I guess Enron at the time opened yeah. two years after Arizona stadium does. And I think Houston has one. I mean, if you're talking about just like charm and like having like a unique feel, Houston's one of the most unique yeah, stadiums in I the agree with that. league. Yeah. I agree so, with that. I mean, yeah, they, Arizona just kind of, is Arizona the one that has the hot tub, like in right field? Yeah, they have the pool, the yeah. swimming pool in right field, the hot. Yeah, which I guess is interesting, but I don't know. That's just it. Kind of loses like it's unique. Like it's just not that unique. I guess it's just a swimming pool. Like San Francisco has an ocean, <laughs> right over the right field wall. Yeah, with all the kayaks yeah, like, waiting for home pool. run balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you. There's yeah. You're right. It's just it doesn't have any charm to it really. So, uh, do you do you have any uh, World Series picks? Are you uh are you ready to go out on that limb, or have you even yeah. like, thought about it? No, I'll, I'll look. I'll throw out a prediction. Okay. We just went on a ten minute tangent about Arizona, the Arizona Diamondback Stadium. So uh, let's give you know 
people yeah. are totally I, tuned by in. By the way, I don't think it's right terrible. Now. It just, you know, it, I think it just... It's, just, it's not interesting. It's, yeah. it's kind of it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. It's, it's just like a, Oakland's is so bad that you talk about it. Right. Arizona's is, is just, just there. Whatever. Yeah. You, they just play baseball yeah. in it. Yeah. Uh, World Series-wise, let's see. Uh, you know, I, I feel like one of these years, the Yankees are finally going to get to the World Series with the roster that they have. Yeah. Because they're adding Garrett Cole last year was obviously like a, a major addition. Like he's one of the best pitchers in the major league baseball. Their lineup is stacked and young. And I think they've been up in the league along for long enough that they should be experienced enough to get through the playoffs. <sighs> I, I don't think that Minnesota or Chicago have the pitching for me to say that they can get through the play. I mean, Minnesota doesn't want a playoff game in what, like, 15 years. Yeah, I don't even know. So to think that they're going to make it to the World Series is tough for me. Yeah. I, Houston, I think Houston's going to be there, but they're pitching such a question. I'm going to go New York out of the American League. Okay. Kind of a, I hate, like, I hate that pick, but I just, it, they've got to get there eventually. They're like the Dodgers. Like, their team's so good that eventually they're going to break through that glass ceiling and get to the World Series. And out of the National League, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Braves. All right, Braves. Gross World Series. That is a World Series that I do not want to see. I could not think of a worse World Series matchup for me than Braves Yankees. But I just don't want to pick the. I don't want to pick the Dodgers. I think the Padres. I don't think they're quite there yet. Um, their roster is stacked, obviously, but I just. I don't know. I yeah. need to see that they can win before. I put a bunch of stock into them, and then the Central's terrible. I don't think any team out of the Central's going to make it. Yeah, I, I'd say Mets or Braves. Okay. I'll go Braves just because they haven't been in a while. I don't know. All right, fair Tough. enough. And, they're, and the champion yeah. is New York? Uh, I guess. Ugh, gross. <laughs> uh, I, I wanna cha- I, you know, I'm changing my mind. I'm going Blue Jays. I'm going Blue Jays and Brewers. Ugh. I need something. I That's need way more fun. That's day. way more yeah. fun. Yeah. Let's go Blue Jays Brewers. I am. Uh, yeah. I like, obviously I'm a Rangers fan, but I think just from a fun standpoint, my fingers are probably crossed for like a Blue Jays, White Sox, ALCS and a Dodgers Padres in LCS. And like whatever, you, okay. whatever shakes out from that four, I, I'm okay with. Here's what I'm hoping for. I don't want this to happen. I like. I want everything to go back to normal. I want the pandemic to. I want to go back to normal life. But I'm hoping for a scenario where Canada doesn't open up the border until like November, and we get a Blue Jays World Series playing at their minor league stadium in Florida. That'd be awesome. You would hope for that. It's <laughs> just. Can you imagine a World Series game at a minor league stadium? Right. They have like Radio Row in the parking lot. It's yeah, yeah, It'd be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, but yeah, Major League Baseball. But like, you know what? Yeah, we're gonna we're just gonna this. play every game at the uh, NL Stadium. Yeah, yeah, they would definitely do that. There's no way they would let that fly. Um, <laughs> by the way, uh, before I let you run, this just hit my timeline. Kyle Pitts at. 6'6", 245 pounds, just ran a 4'4 flat. Dude's fast, man. Remains number one on my Dallas Cowboy big board. He's a freak, man. He's uh, 
It's going to be good. Yeah. You could probably pencil him in for rookie of the year if he plays 16 games. Oh, actually, they're playing 17 now. Yeah, 17. Forget yeah. that they extended it to 17. But yeah, yeah if, if he's healthy, I would just pencil him in for rookie of the year because he's. I cannot see a scenario where he doesn't yeah. have like at least 800 yards. Yeah. I don't care what the Cowboys' needs are. If he's there at 10, Kyle Pitts is the pick. Period. So like you got if you got six more rounds to take needs. Right, exactly. Who's the first round to get a exactly a you know high floor potential Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. Kyle Pitts, number ten, Dallas Cowboys. I love it. All right, buddy. Uh, enjoy opening day tomorrow, uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk about a draft a little bit later in the week. But uh, always fun, buddy. All right. Yeah. Good stuff. See you later. That is Aaron Davis on the Colby Daniels podcast, which is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code COLBYSHOW, and you save 15% off your online order. Plus, if you have any questions about these products or their benefits, don't hesitate to give Artisan Botanicals a call, 405-458-9699. They have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So again, don't hesitate to ask questions, 405-458-9699, and save 15% when you order online, abotanicalcompany.com, discount code COLBYSHOW. Everybody, have a great day, stay safe, and I'll see you tomorrow. Podcast is over.